We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Pastor Jim. Welcome. I'm Pastor Jim. Come on in. Hey, thanks. Um, hey, I'm, there's a lot I've been enjoying about your church, and I just I wanted to ask a few questions about what your church is really all about. John, we're a family here. Our people tend to act and talk a certain way. You don't sound like you've been here very long. Oh, Pastor Jim, I I, uh, I love that your church is a family, and that's that's what I'm looking for is a church that's family. But do you have to talk the same way everyone else does? I mean, isn't isn't the church all about following Jesus? Jesus, yeah, Jesus. Uh, of course, Jesus. Jesus is very important. But personal growth and success, financial stewardship, uh, voting is very important. Voting is important. But of course, it all goes comes back to Jesus. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. My name's Miguel. Um, if you haven't already, uh, if you could check in. I know there are little uh, uh, things on the ground. You see these little QR codes on the ground. It's also on the screen. That would really help us out a lot just to make sure that we can uh, serve you best if uh, you're able to check in. Uh, hey, thank you so much for having me. It's been an incredible weekend where I've been able to uh, hang out with these students uh, it's been awesome, just in, uh, encouraging even for me to just see the, the passion that they have for the Lord. We've been discussing all weekend about abiding in Christ and what it really means to follow Jesus. And so it's been a great weekend so far. But um, if we haven't met, my name is Miguel. I am from, I'm a pastor at Willow Creek Community Church out in the Chicagoland area. I'm originally from San Diego, but right now, I, you know, I've been living in Chicago. It's negative degrees out there. So this is still great warm weather for me. I'm watching though the Houston area and how they're reacting to a 40 degrees or 35 degrees or whatever. And it's in, it's really interesting to see the reaction. People are going into panic mode and they're going into survival mode. And they're, you know, I'm hearing like they're going to grocery stores and buying up all the batteries and things like that or toilet paper. I'm like, what what's happening, Lord? Uh, what is, what's Houston doing right now? Okay, it's not cold at all. Um, but that's just me. Um, but, um, but again, I'm so, so glad that I've been able to at least experience Houston in the state of panic, okay? Um, but my family, let me introduce my family. I've been married almost 18 years to my beautiful wife. Um, she still loves me, um, and we have five kids. Uh, that's a picture of my family, five beautiful kids, uh, ranging from first grade all the way to 10th grade, and uh, they are home right now uh, trying to stay 
trying to stay warm. Uh, parents, um, uh, I, I appreciate parenting. I appreciate grandparents. Um, parenting is the most difficult leadership position you will ever be on planet Earth. It is very difficult to raise a human being. Um, and, uh, and I have to raise five. Four of them are girls. One of them is a boy. But I have four girls. I don't know what the plan is, okay? It's day by day, trusting the Lord, okay? Um, but, uh, but I think often as parents, like what we try our best to do is just instill like wisdom, guidance, instruction, and, and hope that they don't, you know, mess it up. And, and so we try our best to remind them of things. And, and sometimes, you know, kids, will, they'll just miss the obvious. Um, and, and that happens sometimes, um, but we do our best. But I think also as adults, sometimes we miss the obvious. Even when it's right in front of us, it's just so obvious. And today, I want to talk to you guys about really focusing on Jesus, on Christ and Christ alone, because we have an insatiable temptation to add something to Jesus. And there is the red flag. We, we, we think of it, it's Jesus plus something, and there is the red flag there. Now, I have some personal red flags. Uh, one of them I shared with the students is uh, I don't like cats. I am so sorry. Oh, yeah, boo, yeah. Someone's booing me like, give us Barabbas. You know, they're, they're, yeah. don't, all right, calm down. <laughs> wow, all right. And, and the, you know, the crowd was divided, okay. Um, yeah, I don't like cats. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, please offer grace and mercy. But um, uh, I also, I don't like phone cases. I don't like phone cases. So I, I live life by faith with no case. This is complete trust in the Lord right now, right? There's no, there's no case to this. I'm just, I just put it in my pocket. That's it. That's it. And I gently set it down. Um, but I don't like phone cases. They're bulky, and I've never really appreciated them. And, and then I sometimes will change it out. I'm like, I don't need a case. So I don't like phone cases. There's a little red flags for me. But we're, uh, we're in a series called Red Flags. And today I want to talk to us about, about focusing just on Jesus. Now, this isn't on the notes but in the Old Testament, there's an example of how easy it is for human beings to just get caught off guard and add something, add something to God, where it's not just solely focused on God, but it's adding something. Now, in Numbers 21, I know that that's probably uh, the devotion you had this morning was in Numbers 21. So just, just to remind you, um, in Numbers 21, there are venomous snakes and a plague of venomous snakes that are killing all all the Israelites, There's a bunch of people are dying uh, from these venomous snakes. And so um, Moses goes to God. This is the Israelites wandering in the desert. Um, Moses goes to God and says, hey, what are we going to do about all these venomous snakes? And God says, I want you to make a bronze snake and put it up on a pole bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when any of the Israelites look at it, they will be healed. Wherever they are, if they look at it, they will be healed. Now, a little side note. Um, today, in our hospitals, in our medical uh, offices, you might see a pole with snakes on it, okay? The Greeks will get the credit for that. But long before that, there was Numbers 21 and this bronze snake on a pole that represented healing, okay? Amen, Jesus wins. Okay, now here's the thing. When that happened... Uh, Moses made the bronze snake on a pole and everyone, people looked at it and they were healed and it was great, it was wonderful. Healing was happening. Now here's the thing, sometime later, 
as people do what they do, as human beings do what they do, they began to worship that bronze snake on a pole. This was a gift from God. This was supposed to help them in their season, in their situation. And years went by and they began to worship the snake on a pole. It became idolatry. And sometime later, actually, in, in um, 2 Kings 18, King Hezekiah comes in and he goes, I'm going to destroy all this stuff because they started to add a bunch of stuff. Not only the bronze snake, they were adding other poles and other things and they just were starting to worship. We're going to add this. We're going to add this. This is going to be great. We're going to make the pole like this. We're going to have a second pole. We're going to have another thing. And they just began to worship. They were missing it all together. They were adding to this whole experience with them and God. And in 2 Kings 18 verse 4, Again, it's not on the screen. Just listen. It says, Hezekiah destroyed the high places. King Hezekiah did. He broke the memorial stones and cut down the Asherah poles. At that time, the Israelites burned incense to the bronze snake made by Moses. This bronze snake was called the Nehushtan in Hebrew. Everyone say, Nehushtan. Kazuntite, bless you. King Hezekiah broke the bronze snake into pieces. Okay? That was just one example of something that was good, something that was so helpful for the people, and all of a sudden, we worshiped, we worshiped it. We, we began worshiping it. It became so incredible to them that they were like, yeah, let's, let's just camp out, let's just become all about this snake on a pole. See, here's the point, if, if you don't realize it yet, this is, this is often what takes place where we become so consumed by, about ideas and, and things in our life and, and it becomes so overwhelming that we think that is the thing that's gonna save us when it needs to be all about Jesus and Christ alone. So let me give you the, the primary text today that I want us to really think through and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse two. It's one verse. This is Paul, and he says this, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing, nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you're taking notes, write, write this down. When we allow a good thing to become an ultimate thing in our life, it becomes idolatry. When we allow a good thing, a good thing, and actually it was an instruction from God, a good thing. When we allow it to become an ultimate thing in our life, that's when it becomes idolatry. Now, I'm gonna show you a New Testament example. This is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time. It's in Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. Um, it's a powerful, powerful story, and it's the story of the transfiguration in Scripture you may have read it before, but let me just give you the context. Okay, it's really important to have context of Scripture. Um, if it's taken out of context, it's a con. So it's really important for us to understand what's going on here in the Bible. Now, the disciples, they had been walking with Jesus for some time now. It's been teaching after teaching, miracle after miracle. But what they're about to experience was something totally different. All of a sudden, this man, this father comes up to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, healer, teacher, my daughter, she's 12 years old. Can you do something? She's dying. 
And obviously every father in the room, you could have seen or sensed the urgency of this father who's just there where you've gone to every single doctor and the sickness turns, sickness turns to days and weeks and months and you've tried everything possible and now you're going, all we now can do is pray. This is where the father is. So Jesus begins to follow this, this father. He says, I'll come. He's starting to head to, over to this house where this 12-year-old daughter is on her deathbed. And on the way there, someone from the home meets them, and the father hears words that no parent ever wants to hear. This person says, your daughter is dead. She's died. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. Oh. But Jesus, he continues to head to the home. They get to this home and the 12 disciples are there and, 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 and Jesus goes, okay, Peter, James, and John, you guys come in with me. Peter, be quiet. I got this. And so he, he goes into the house and they, they're pressed up against the adobe wall inside this home and, and there's just mourning. It's a funeral and everyone's crying and, and they're just unconsolable. You, you look over, you see the mom whose head is probably down and just crying. The father's there to embrace her. And Jesus walks over to this daughter who's on her deathbed. He takes her by the hand and he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl get up. And in that moment, <gasps> life comes back into her body. If you're Peter, James, and John, and you're watching this, you're going, what am I seeing right now? Did you, did you see that? Is this really happening? They had to have been, just been in a sense of awe, maybe even a little bit of a sense of terror of what they just saw. Now in all of that, at least after all of that just happened, the disciples would have at least been like, he's got to be the son of God, at least in awe of who Jesus is at this point. That's the context as we go in to Mark chapter nine. So Mark chapter nine says this, starting in verse two. Six days later from that 12-year-old daughter resurrection, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. Now, I, I don't know, I always wonder, why is it always Peter, James, and John? Peter, James, and John got to go into that home. Peter, James, and John got to go a little bit further into the garden. Why is it always Peter, James, and John? In my mind, I'm going like, you could put them on like a four-team rotation and like everyone gets a shot at a miracle. Like, why is it always them? And there's all, there's all kinds of theories. Like, well, these are the three that were kind of uh, following early, you know, Jesus early in the ministry. They showed kind of the most faith. Um, other, you know, writings say that, you know, this is uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And of course, you know who wrote that? John wrote that about himself. So it's like, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're gonna get a shot of like writing a book, uh, you know, in the Bible, you're probably looking pretty good, right? So John writes that. So I don't know why it's always these three. I do have a theory though. I'm always thinking like, like okay, maybe when Jesus... Uh, had to do something pretty incredible, had to do something pretty significant, and he had to leave the 12 behind at camp, and he looked over, he's like, okay, wait, hold on. <sighs> These are the three I can't trust back at camp. Peter, James, and John, follow me. Like, 
That, maybe that's how it was. That's why they're always chosen. I don't know. But for some reason, Peter, James, and John are always the ones that are actually being asked to go with them. So he went up the mountain. And then it says this, and he was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them. Do you know what that means? Neither do I. But it's, un, it's incredible. I mean, it was some kind of like metamorphosis that took place. His, his, his deity was breaking through his humanity. I mean, this was an awesome moment for the three guys who got to go up there and check it out. So Mark, the writer here, Mark, he does his best to describe this indescribable moment, okay? And here's what he says. It says, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. <laughs> I, I, got, I mean, I, I, I guess I feel for Mark in this moment, like he's trying to describe. He's doing his best to explain what's going on, and he says, like, it's like bleach. So here, okay, so another, other gospel writers, Matthew records, Jesus became like the sun. That's awesome. Luke records that Jesus became like lightning. Yeah. And then Mark goes, yeah, it was like good bleach. <laughs> it's like, good job, Mark. <laughs> and then it says this, and then there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Did you hear that? And there appeared Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now see, that doesn't really, that doesn't really move us, right? 2024, Houston, Texas, in America. That was just, we didn't grow up good Jewish boys and girls in the first century, okay? Elijah and Moses, they were like the greatest action heroes of the Jewish culture and faith. I mean, this is it. This, 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 this is the, you know, Iron Man and Captain America. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. And so Elijah, it's like, all of a sudden, you have, to, you have to envision this. This was a really big deal for Peter, James, and John. So it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, Jesus transfigured, and so, you know, sun, lightning, Clorox, poosh, oh, like, whoa. And then all of a sudden, there's like, this, this next guy, poosh, bearded dude, staff, tablets, Moses, oh. And there's like, poosh, bearded dude, staff, Name tag, Elijah. I don't know what it, what did he walk around with? I don't know. I don't, but you're like, whoa, what's going on? You're just in awe of what's happening, this crazy, um, amazing thing that's taking place before them, this spectacle. And they're seeing them, and they're all talking. And then here's what Peter says. <laughs> and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Do you ever just say something like publicly just dumb? Like just say, you're just like, well, I just, oh, you're like, you say it, and you're like, oh, why did I say that? Well, it's quiet, right? This, this is Peter, like, you just like, let me, let me give you a hint. If you ever, if you ever get into a season of your life where Jesus shows up like the lightning, sun, bleach, Clorox, whatever it is, okay, it's just amazing, and then you have Moses and, and Elijah, let me help us all be quiet. Don't say anything. Just be silent. It's probably not about you. This is Peter. It's really good that we're here right now. This is a good day. But then you know how like when you say it and then you're like, 
I can't stop and you just dig a bigger hole, okay? This is now what's happening with Peter. Here's what Peter then continues. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. Yeah, you shouldn't have said anything, but okay. For they were terrified. And then it says this, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him, exclamation. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Peter was just caught up in the most extraordinary moment of his life and listened very carefully and he just made Jesus a part of it. Did you, did, you, did you see it? Did you miss it? Peter just treated the God of the world like every other guest. You're gonna make an altar, a dwelling place. You're gonna, make, you're gonna give honor to all three equally. But Peter, who's the only one worthy of all honor, all glory? Moses and Elijah are people. Jesus is the son of God. And we ought to listen to him and him alone. See, you can be in like one of the most incredible displays of God and still miss Jesus. You can be in an incredible moment with the Lord and you make him just a part of it. You elevate everything else to the same position as Jesus and it becomes idolatry. When Jesus is only a part of your life, listen, expect to be in a cloud. See, why are we not in awe of Jesus? Why in that moment was Peter not just being like, I don't even care about Moses and Elijah, it's Jesus. And he's literally transfiguring before me. This is awesome. Why can't we just be so overwhelmed with who Jesus is in our life? See, Jesus didn't die on the cross to just be a part of all of it, just to be a part of your life. Why can't he be noticed above everything else in our life? Jesus, according to John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to give us life abundantly, according to John 10, 10. See, and this big idea is this. It's Jesus plus nothing else. It's Jesus plus nothing. This is what 1 Corinthians is talking about. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else. But here is the trap for us. The trap is this, that there's a general tendency in all of these answers and the answers and the things that we do to underestimate Jesus, to give him a measure of respect and honor, but fall far short for honoring him for who he really is. We put things at the same level of Jesus. We put speakers and podcasts and theologians and artists and worship leaders, we elevate them to this high level and it's like the same level that we do and we give to Jesus. But that isn't how it ought to be. It's not Jesus plus your favorite speaker. It's not Jesus plus your podcast. It's not Jesus plus your favorite authors and theologians. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing. 
equals everything. But it's like we've buried Jesus. We've thrown him into the pile of the things that sum up our life. And let me just say this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Nothing wrong with Moses and Elijah. Nothing wrong with even honoring them. But when we give the same honor to them as we do Jesus, now we're missing it. Now we're equating the same honor as people that we do Jesus. Now it's all of a sudden becoming Jesus plus something else. But with Jesus, there is no comparison. You and I know Jesus is king and there is no contest. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Everything was made by him and for him. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He was and is, will always be the great I am. He is the self-existing, all-encompassing. He is God with a bod. And the song is true. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever. His is the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the name above every other name. It's Jesus, it's Christ, and Christ alone. That's what it is, and that's what it ought to always be. But we're people. We're human. We feel like we need to add something. We feel like, but it's something else. Peter missed it. And at the bottom of the mountain were the rest of the disciples. The rest of the disciples, these guys, uh, had just an incredible mountaintop experience, but everything that's taught on the mountaintop is always revealed in the valley. So when we get to the bottom of the mountain, the other disciples, they're arguing with the religious leaders, and Jesus gets there, and what are you guys arguing about? And this man comes up and says, your disciples could not help my son. He's demon-possessed by this thing, and we're not sure what's going on. And so he begins to describe what's happening with his boy, and then here's what happens, Mark chapter 9, verse 18. And whenever it seizes him, this, this demon, it dashes him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Here's what's interesting about that. Nine chapters have passed. They were already sent out two by two. In Mark chapter six, they were already given power over unclean spirits. They had done ministry. They had done it all. They read all the manuals. They went to all the classes. They had confirmation. They had everything going on. Like they, they went to seminary, like, and the professor was Jesus. Like this is it. They know exactly what to do. They've done it already. And now here's Mark nine and they can't do it. They can't do it. This is often where we find followers of Jesus, where it's like, you've been here. You already know where I'm going with this. You've already filled in all the little outlines and you already know the sermons and you've already understood this and you've memorized this. You've been a teacher of the scriptures. You've, you've done small groups and Sunday school and Bible studies and classes. You get it. You've been here for decades. You understand you're a retired uh, pastor or bishop or whatever and you've done it all. And then there are these seasons where it's like, but why isn't this working anymore? Why, why can't I feel the power of God like we used to? And here are the disciples with the same issue. 
So Jesus, you know, long story medium, he, he, he heals the boy, casts out the demon, and then later the disciples are curious what, what happened there. In verse 28 and 29, he says, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind can come out only through prayer. Only through prayer. That word prayer is the word presuke. What it really means, it's not just that they, could have, they should have prayed right before they did it. Like, in Jesus' name, we're going to do this, amen. Like, it's not that. This kind of prayer is relational it actually describes like a dedicated place or location where you often meet with God relationally, conversationally with the Lord, where you are solely dedicated to Christ and Christ alone. Some translations will say prayer and fasting because the dedication is that deep. That relationship is that intense. And he's saying, you want to have this kind of power. You want to have this kind of source of strength. It will only come when you've recognized it's Jesus plus nothing. It only comes when you've recognized it's Christ in Christ alone. you got to get rid of everything else in your life and every other distraction in your life and just focus solely on me. And when we've done that, when we've come to that place where we've realized that it's Christ in Christ alone, therein lies the power is in Jesus. I wonder as we are turning the corner into 2024 and we're looking back at 2023 and we're now entering this brand new year, what would happen if all of us just decided to focus on Jesus, on Christ alone? That we make, like Paul says, make a decision that we will know nothing else except Christ alone. Nothing wrong with all the good things that are added. Nothing wrong with those things. But they cannot and should not become an ultimate thing in our life. What kind of power would we see in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our church if we could just solely surrender to Jesus? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us each and every Sunday to just be reminded that it's always been about you. God, I pray that as we enter into a new year, Lord, as we're entering into new seasons of our life, would you help us, God, be reminded that it's always been about Jesus and it'll never stop being about Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for the examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament God, that there are moments when we add things to you, a cloud overwhelms us and we can't see straight. God, would you just be in the student ministry here, be in every ministry here at St. Luke's as they continue to reach their city and beyond for the glory of God. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name.